This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, this is the Adabouts Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, um, and we have two fantastic episodes for you today. Um, first, we have Amy Angerbretson, um, who tells us about her new project, Boots Over Brim, which I think I said repeatedly, I think is her best work. Um, and uh, we kind of talk about that. We talk about Warren Miller. We talk about a whole bunch. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think there's some really interesting insights here. Um, next up, we have Cody Townsend, um, who you may or may not know from the 50 Project. Um, the 50 Project has been a staple in my YouTube feed as of uh, as of the last couple of years. Um, always impressive what that guy does. It's always insane to me how smart he is. Um, just listening to the guy talk is. Uh, He's very thoughtful about everything he says, and uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm always just very impressed when people carry themselves the way that Cody does. So um, that's a great one as well. Um, we talk about a whole mess of things. So um, I hope you guys enjoy a um, few housekeeping items before we uh, before we jump into the show. We uh, Obviously, the website got updated, um, so we're at www.outofcollective.com. That's where the merch lives. There's also these great episode recaps. There's blog posts. There's uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so check out the website, mobile, or the actual computer version. Um, I guess that's how the internet works these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's been great. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the new site, and uh, we will continue to add more and more and more as we get through. Um, some new logos are coming out, um, new branding across the board. It's uh, it's going to be really cool, and I'm excited to share that with everybody. Um, what else we got going on? Uh, the girls just had Jason Leventhal on yesterday on Big Stick Energy, so for sure, take a listen to that. Um, the Pursuit Podcast is on Wednesdays uh, with Mr. Adam X. That has been fantastic. Last week, he had Eliza Sampley on, and she uh, she was great. That's probably one of my favorite ones that he's done yet. Um, and then John Croom. John Croom is on Thursdays. Um, that dude is uh, he's a great interviewer. really is. Um, before we jump into the episode, um, we have a couple sponsors for today. Uh, one of which is a mutual sponsor of Cody's and ours, Cody's and yeah, the whole network actually. Um, we actually talk about it towards the end of the show and we kind of give you like, a, Cody gives you a much better explanation of what the company does, why he uses it and all this kind of stuff. Um, on X, I guess I should tell you what the sponsor is before I keep rambling on. Um, on X Backcountry specifically is a sponsor of the Out of Bounds podcast. Um, these guys have been awesome to work with so far. Um, and for the month of November, um, if you sign up for an Onyx Backcountry membership, you will save 20% using promo code Out of Bounds, and they will donate $10 to an avalanche center of your choosing in the U.S. Um, that's only for the month of November. Um, and man, like there's this Onyx mapping GPS system is like 
one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Like to watch it populate on the computer, to see the slope angles that you can see, um, to see how many different layers you can add to this product, whether it's on your phone or on um, your desktop. It, it doesn't matter. This stuff is, uh, it's insane. Um, you actually can go through and pick out all of Cody's 50 project lines too, um, if you want to. And it's, uh, you can kind of like see exactly the route, um, see the angles, see whatever you want, basically. Um, Onyx Backcountry gives you a ton of different options. So um, hit that up. It's just There's actually a link in the bio at this point. Um, and use promo code out of bounds, all lowercase, uh, to save yourself 20% off on an Onyx Backcountry membership, um, a premium membership, I might add. And uh, in addition to that, they'll go ahead and donate $10 to an avalanche center in the US of your choosing. Um, so please do that. I mean, if you want an opportunity to donate to an avalanche center that actually makes a difference in your community, then that's uh, this is a great way to do it. Um, you get an Onyx membership, they pay the they pay the Avalanche Center. I mean, that sounds like you get the good deed, and you get like this awesome product that Onyx has made. Um, if you're familiar with Onyx Hunt, this is very very similar. Just works a little bit differently for the backcountry side of things. So um, I hope you guys will do that. Um, Onyx backcountry um, promo code out of bounds. Yada yada yada. Um, Leave a review on iTunes. Uh, leave a review across the board. Um, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think of the collective. What your favorite show is. I don't care. We're not. We're all in this together. All five of us: me, Renee, Adam, John, the whole deal. Um. So yeah, check that out. Leave a review on iTunes. Scroll to the bottom. Blah blah blah. Without further ado, here is Amy Angerbretson. Recording in progress. All right. Amy, um, how are you? I'm good, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. Um, thanks yeah. for coming on again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's way different. I feel like when I do interviews at OR, I'm like so smoked because I do like 20 in that week or whatever. And you're just like, you have the same. And I told you this then. I think it's like you have the same conversation over and over and over again. And though, even though everybody's different, you don't like, I don't have the same energy level. And it's probably all my fault, all in all. But um, I totally get it. <laughs> Um, so that's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about. You're like, you're touring your own film. You're with Warren Miller. Like there's a lot going on. Does it feel repetitive to you at all? You know what? It, it, eventually it does kind of get a little bit repetitive, but, um, you know, right now I'm only in week one, so I'm still pretty good energy. I'm in Sun Valley. Um, and what's crazy this year is I'm touring with the Warren Miller film, Winter Starts Now, that I'm a part of with the Palisade segment, um, which is the new name for the resort that's formerly known as Squaw Valley. And I'm also hosting my own little tour with my boyfriend, Todd Laguerre, and that's called the Powtown Revival Tour. So I'm kind of doing two tours as if one tour wasn't enough. Um, like, so for example, this week, I have ski movie premieres Tuesday through Saturday. So that's six nights in a row. And like, I mean, of course it gets like kind of tedious or whatever, but um, I think that like when you're like signing posters and you're meeting kids and you're like seeing people's like reaction, the audience, like that's so um, invigorating. And last year not having film tour, it made me realize how 
important that like live energy feedback is. And so like having that, like, yeah, okay. It's a grind, like flying somewhere new every morning and kind of just like pounding it out, trying to squeeze in my workouts. But then when I'm like meeting some little kids or watching people watch these films on a big screen, like that kind of um, erases all of mundane parts of it. (laughs) I do feel like sometimes I need help being creative, like what to say on a poster. Sometimes I I like, especially if it's like somewhere where I've maybe like been a bunch of times and someone will be like, you've signed my poster the last five years in a row. And I'm like, (laughs) what do I say now? Because I don't have that many catchphrases. (laughs) That's a very unique problem to have, I think. Like not a lot of people are going to experience that problem in their life where they're like, what do I sign on this little kid's poster that they're going to hang on? You want to be inspirational, but you have like 10 seconds. Yeah. Like go, and then you have to do it like rapid fire for like an hour. And it's just, I'm definitely in my life as a professional skier. There's many, many times where like I also wish I was like an amazing writer or like a poet or something. Right. <laughs> you kind of have to wear so many hats as a professional skier, and I think it's uh, that's one of the things that people don't realize is you have to do so many different things, and especially I feel like you do a lot of like you do a lot of ad work, you do a lot of like multifaceted things in this industry, and like that that's great, but it makes it way harder. I feel like. Well, my advice, like when I talk to like people starting out to want to be professional skiers, it's like, you need to love the job part of being a professional skier, because obviously you have to love skiing and you have to be a really good skier. But like, if you just want to ski, you need to find a way to be like a ski bum. And, and what I do is very different than that. In that, like my job is to use my skiing to create something to share with people, to hopefully inspire a feeling and to make these connections with people for the brands I work with, you know, like I see myself as a brand and as a marketing tool. And part of being effective at that brand is being a really strong skier and being a passionate, avid skier. But I think sometimes even your like passion for the sport, like sometimes you have to like balance that or even just like sometimes set that aside for like, what is the business side of things to make it so that, I can be a good brand partner for these companies that sponsor me and, and make it possible for me to have this life. You know, I got into professional skiing because I wanted to have these ski experiences that like financially, I wasn't probably set up in the world to have. Like I didn't really come from a family where like regular heli skiing was going to be part of my program. Um, but I also love the work side of it. I love creating things. I love whether it's going out on a photo shoot and working with a photographer to try to get the best shot and the feeling, you know, when you get the call, like it's running, you know, I just had a call <laughs> and I have a spread and free skier. I also have a spread and forecast with my dad and like, you know, yeah, we did it. Cause you know, you work so hard days just to get one photo in a magazine. Um, and the same, obviously working on like a film is so much work and it's it's actually really creative like it's more than just skiing it's it's exercising this whole other side of things where you it's teamwork you know you have to work with people in the backcountry both in like safety but then those people like all throughout the creative process so I think that that's a side of it I actually really like and if you want to be a professional skier you need to consider that that the job part of it has to be like you want to love your job not like one part of your job you know? No, for sure. How do you, so how do you separate Amy, the business and Amy, the person, right? Like that's one of the things where like the water gets kind of muddy where people think they can contact you all the time. You're accessible on social, you're, you're available on email, you're on this, you're on that. And you're like always trying to put out a happy face, but there's sometimes when you just need me time, right? 
So how yeah. do you separate those things in a way that makes you still the brand, but happy internally? Because I think that's something a lot of people are struggling with lately because there's so many like influencer types that are, it's merging with skiing in a way. I mean, social media makes that really hard because like part of, I think, one thing I, I think about when I think of my brand is I like to be like personable and relatable and open up and like let people in. And you're right. It does like become, you know, exhausting or even like here in Sun Valley, I got this like sweet deal on this hotel room in exchange for social media. So it's like <laughs> having to like promote it and tag everything. And honestly, the first, the, the, my dog bill takes the brunt of it. Cause every time I need to like promote something on social media yeah. that I'm kind of awkward about, I'm like, just use the poodle throw the poodle in here. that will be great. And like, he doesn't know he's not agreeing to this, Yeah, <laughs> but it's true. That's uh, that's content immediately. Like that's uh, that's an easy out for sure. I'm sure there's plenty of people that have gotten dogs, fallen in love with them, but gotten them intentionally for the use of social. I know I've people been that asked. Have yeah. I've been asked if I did that and I didn't, I actually got my dog from my roommate. So, okay. um, <laughs> good to know. but it's, it's good. It's, it is a nice benefit, but I think it's hard to like, I don't really, I think it's good to like open up and be real on Instagram, but I also don't feel like it's a place for my baggage. And yeah. I don't think it's, a, I never want to, I have, I'm so fortunate and it doesn't matter how fortunate you are. Everybody goes through hard times and struggles. Um, but I don't want to ever feel like I'm complaining. And so I think that kind of remaining authentic, but keeping it it balanced. I'm actually working on a really cool project with spider that kind of relates all into all this that I can't really like say more on, but definitely working towards a project of opening up more and being more vulnerable and realistic. And like, especially like taking the female empowerment movement in skiing away from like, just, Oh my God, cool girl ski to like showing real women and the struggles that like us as athletes go through that mimics, not just other women that are skiers, but women throughout any walk of life. Mm. So yeah, trying to tell those stories in that way, more than just like dumping it all in my Instagram stories when I'm having a bad day, you know? Yeah, no. And I think that's, that's a good way to look at it because people are starting to share more, right? People are starting to open up about their feelings and you're starting to see a lot of projects where it is just about like the mental aspect of the skiing side of things. Like Drew Peterson just had a film that's out now, but like, that's, it's amazing. Right. And, and it's, it's really cool to see people talking about this kind of stuff now. So yeah. um, what, when you go and you kind of mix all these things that that make Amy the business, do you think that adds more? And I, obviously I think so, but do you think that adds more value when you go and you ask a brand for a partnership or for a sponsorship, right? You can go, these are the things that I do really well, right? Because, uh, and I tweeted the other day that I think more skiers need agents, right? But there's some skiers like yourself that I don't think necessarily need agents because they're good at the business side, right? So what is, do you think it adds value? I, I definitely do, you know, and I think that there's some people that like kind of this aloof, like I'm too cool athlete persona kind of gets them pretty far because then like other people can buy into it. Like if you think you're the shit, other people will think you're the shit, but like, that's just not who I've ever been. Like I've always been like, just work harder than everyone else type person. And I've brought that to my ski career and do some brands or some specific team, team managers or brand heads, maybe not gel with that sure maybe but i don't want to be with that brand i want to be with the brand like i just want to be with like man minded people you know and yeah, so finding yeah. places where you know when i 
go to a brand, I have like a full athlete deck PDF with a references section. And I keep track in an Excel sheet of everywhere I'm published. And like, mm. I, you know, I have a running Excel sheet of every day I shoot throughout the winter and what I'm doing and where it's going. And um, I do think that part of my like MO, like my philosophy business wise is to just make it as easy as possible for people to say yes. And so I think, you know, obviously these brands are businesses and the people at these brands are working in a business environment. And so if you present it to them in a language where they don't have to then translate some bro email into a budget, yeah. they can just forward the budget to their boss. Um, that I think to me, that's like making it easy to say yes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've found that a ton myself too. Like when you're, when you're presenting these things, if it's organized, it's concise and you have like, here's what I'm giving, like the deliverables, right? It's here's what I'm giving you. Here's what I want. And it's clear. I think people are just afraid to ask for stuff a lot of times. And they're afraid to be like, this is what I'm doing. And especially because we work in an industry that's so, it's almost clouded. Like what everybody, like, I don't know what you make. You don't know what I make. I don't know what Skier X makes or Skier Y makes. It, it just, it's a little weird sometimes trying to figure out how you even go about doing those things. So I think it's important to talk about this stuff. It's, it's hard to vouch for yourself. I mean, I, I don't have an agent. I would actually love an agent <clears throat> if there's any agents listening. Um, but <laughs> I also, also thought about <laughs> I would love an agent, um, but it's almost, I've thought sometimes in the past, it's almost like I need a publicist Got it. more okay. than I need an agent um, in a lot of ways. Cause I think trying to promote, like get the message out there with what you're saying, like there's so people are so inundated with content and everything yeah. and to navigate those waters. And for me trying to navigate the waters that lead to this, you know, mysterious bridge that goes to the non-ski world the non-endemic <laughs> world it's like we have to part the mist to find that bridge i don't know where it is but yeah. um looking for it for years and um, that's something you want to do is be like outside of just skiing well like with my recent film that came out boots over yeah. brim i am so proud of that film and i'm so grateful to sweetgrass productions for everything that that this film would not have been possible with a different creative team behind it like mm. i needed sweetgrass to make this film but i think it would be really cool outside the ski industry in a way to like extend like the reach of the ski industry past just our really small bubble, but then also capture people and bring people in, I think too, you yeah. know, like, I think if I could ever find that bridge, I do think it's a two-way bridge. Yeah. Um, I think it's, by the way, I think it's your best work yet. Like it's beautiful. It's like, it's, it's not just, see, the thing is, is you're right. There's so much content out there and there's so many people that are just like shredding and like doing all this stuff. And it's just not that it's, it's, you are shredding, but it's not, that's not like the crux of the production and the production quality, by the way, is second to none. It is, uh, it's the best that I've seen in a long time. It's beautiful. The film, like quality wise, I, I couldn't say enough good things about it. And the other thing is you can actually like get a young person to sit down and watch it for six minutes and enjoy it. And they won't like leave the room to go check their phone. It's been fun, like watching it. So I'm touring it with the Powtown Revival film tour I'm doing, and it's been fun, uh, like in a theater. I'll, 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 or like when where we've been all different kinds of places. We haven't actually been in a theater yet, but people will be kind of like milling around talking, and then like once the second song of the project hits, basically nobody can take their eyes off the screen. Yeah, and it's really cool to watch because it's hard. I think we all like ski movies, and always I watch them really dedicated. But sometimes it's easy to like you know say something. Uh, that the really unique quality of the film really captures people and 
like I said, Sweetgrass is just so amazing. And the director Zeppelin Zero brought me this idea last year. Cause I went to Sweetgrass. I was like, Hey, I really want to work with you guys. And they're like, okay, well, we don't know what we want to do. And Zeppelin came up with this idea and he came to me with it. And I was like, I don't know, that sounds kind of like weird or out there or maybe nobody's going to like it. And then I thought about it for like a day and I was like, fuck it. That sounds really fun. And it's like something I personally would really like. And I feel like a lot of times I make decisions in my life and in my career of like, what's going to sell? What are people going to like? And like, instead this time I was just like, actually, no, I'm fucking way into that. And so let's do it. You know? And I think it's cool to have the confidence to do something so different and to have a company like Sweetgrass believe in me enough to, to put that many yeah. <laughs> eggs in, in a basket. Cause it was definitely, anytime you make a ski film, it's super hard, but they kind of agreed to do it. And we were figuring out the details and the funding kind of on the fly. And they're like, we believe in you. We believe in this let's go. And hopefully it works out. And <laughs> somehow, somehow it did. Everything came down to the wire. Even getting a uh, Paul Cawthon's music was kind of funny. I've been a big Paul Cawthon fan for a long time. And I wanted to use one of his songs in my film Snow Pony last year, but his, uh, the manager, his manager came back with a rate that was way too expensive. Um, but so I like, basically was like gung ho on using his music for this piece. And <laughs> I basically ended up like stalking him all summer. I like had a friend, of a friend that had his phone number and I went to a music festival in Whitefish just to like hopefully bump into him, which I did, which is crazy. <laughs> and like, I went to like three more of his shows this summer and I ended up kind of like connecting with his wife who designs clothes and costumes. And anyways, like, at one point, one of our like meetings with Zach, the producer at Sweetgrass, he's like, way to manifest it. I was like, is it, is it manifesting or is it just stalking? Uh, <laughs> I think it's manifesting it, it. You did it. You went there with intention. <laughs> I think that's the important part. It I'm like, Todd, we're stuff. going to a music festival to meet Paul Coffin. He's like, that's insane, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. I literally bumped into him in the crowd and told him about the project and, um, kind of like, like you bumped into him and you're like this is what i have to tell you something and it's really important i'm telling you right now yeah and everybody's around him like take pictures with me paul blah 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 and <laughs> i'm like paul like we don't need to take a picture but like i gotta tell you about this thing and he's like yeah yeah like message me i'm like yeah but like will you actually read it and get back to me and he did and even we had some like negotiations because like music rights are so tough yeah um, and it was looking like it wasn't gonna work out and then i sent this like really heartfelt message because i say i text paul but really i or I text with him really I text him and he like double hearts it back like he never really says anything oh, back. Yeah. <laughs> but I texted him this like heartfelt message kind of explaining how much I love his music and that his music was inspiration for the project and that it hadn't been used in like the action sports industry yet and I thought it was going to be amazing and again I didn't get a response back but his his manager came back to us two days later and accepted our terms so oh that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> That's uh, yeah. People don't know like getting music for stuff is super hard and very expensive. Like it's uh, I don't feel though we need good music in ski films because I'm seeing like yeah, a lot of films are using rights free music like music library music, right? And it's like fine, it can work, but it also just feels like GoPro at music sometimes. Mm. And I think having like again, like to me, it's like that creative endeavor, like thinking about how a song resonates with your skiing or in this case skiing and dancing like music is really important and like I really admire artists and musicians like I don't really follow celebrities on Instagram but I follow so many musicians and like mm. those are the people I look up to the most I think 
and this would have been a really hard project to do without that music now that I think about it too. Like that actually, it kind of pulls it all together and makes it what it is. And it's almost yeah. like ski, like people talk about ski acting while they're skiing, but this is like a skier acting almost like for the film side. And I think that that's, that makes it really interesting. And dance moves were excellent from all parties involved. Your dad, <laughs> Todd, like, I mean, this is, uh, this is amazing. Like I really, really was excited to see it. Well, I wasn't I, even sure what I was going to be watching at first. <laughs> when I was trying to tell people about it or even like selling sponsors on it, I think a lot of people were like, what? Yeah. Um, but seeing it visually, obviously it makes a lot of sense, but the, the dancing part was really fun. I've been dancing my whole life. I danced, uh, I actually gave up ski racing to pursue dance. I danced, uh, all the way through college. I was in a bunch of different companies, I danced in toe shoes till I was 22. Um, and in my teenage years, I joined like a competitive ballroom dance team and my dad ended up well, the, the instructor was this like really cute Puerto Rican woman who needed a, a partner. So my dad learned how to dance and became her partner. And then from there we went on, my dad and I went on to like teach swing dancing and specifically like, aerial, really? like all over. Yeah. So we danced at Disneyland and in Vegas. And then my dad and I toured all over SoCal and Vegas, like teaching me seminars. Um, and then I've always been obsessed with like Western culture and like the rodeo dance growing up was like, you know, the highlight of my life. And so as a dancer, line dancing comes very easily. Um, so to prepare for this film though, I, there's this like really funny, it's called, what is it called? Pure country. It's in Sparks, which is a neighborhood of Reno, which is very interesting. And there's this cantina with like amazing line dancing and da and like a great dance floor. And it's in like a strip mall, like next to like a big lots. And so I was going down there like one or two nights a week to like dance and brush up. And my dad would go sometimes and we'd dance, but, um, Todd actually like we he could always like dance but he like learned how to dance for this piece and so we had like oh, rehearsals wow. all summer and I like kind of choreographed the line dance like specifically for the piece and no, it was no. kind of like a fun training regimen go down to like the <laughs> the strip mall and sparks and go dancing <laughs> every week <laughs> that's great I actually that was my next question was like how did Todd react because if you look at Todd from the outside you're not like and you watch him ski you're not like this is a dancer yeah. um just on first went but he was great I was like super impressed like it, it wasn't it, there was nothing about his dancing that I was like this feels weird I was this actually makes sense I was at first I was gonna ask it. if it actually was Todd dancing but yeah no, if it was not a dance stunt double, um, one thing you have to know about Todd is that he is a ham. And when the cameras come on, <laughs> if he has like a character to play, like he's right there and he loves like mysterious outlaw cowboy character. <laughs> so, I, part of me was like, is this going to go well? But like, as soon as the cameras and the lights, like he was right there. But um, I think part of it's too, you know, we have really good like chemistry. And so yeah. like, we have to pretend that part. Um, but I also think part of it is, he's an athlete and dancing is very athletic. And I think, you know, for me, like who I am as a skier is completely related to who I am as a dancer and that like body awareness and body discipline that I learned growing up a dancer contributes everything to who I am as a skier. And also like, I think there's something to be said about like grace in skiing. And to mm -hmm. me, what I love about when I find skiers that I love and admire, it's about like their touch and their style. And Todd is so that skier, he is such a connected athlete and a graceful skier and his years of ski racing get, give him that amazing body awareness where um, it kind of shows you, I, I do see dance as an art form, but I also think that dance makes some of the most incredible athletes. And it makes sense that an athlete would be able to learn to dance, especially when 
you know, you can see when someone has like I said, that touch when with their skiing, to me, it is grace. And that's what I like admire so much in skiers. And that has to come from my background as a dancer, you know? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you guys share as skiers is you're both extreme. Like when you watch you guys ski, you're both very balanced. You're very smooth. Every, like every movement seems to make sense. And that's one of the biggest compliments I think you can pay a skier because it looks like it looks perfect almost like the turns look smooth and they look like everything is well balanced. And that's what also makes a good photo too. Like everybody always talks about like marketing turns. It's like, that's what fucking makes a good marketing turn is it being balanced and pretty and your body's in the right place. You have to be a really good skier to do a good one turn wonder. And I think (laughs) that's kind of the misnomer of the whole thing. Like, Oh, you're just a photo skier. It's like, you have to be a really good skier to get good photos. Oh, my photos are trash. I'm like <laughs> such trash at like I then no matter how good I can ski well, but like that I'd never be able to do it because I'm not balanced. Like, it doesn't make any sense to my body. Like it just I don't know where to put my hands and like my arm, but like when you look at you guys ski, everything fucking lines up and I think it's amazing. Well, I take that as a very big compliment. So thank you. Yes. Um can I ask you an unrelated question to this um to this film i i think it's great and everybody needs to go watch it it's on vimeo so i guess my first question is kind of related why did you guys choose vimeo to put it out as opposed to putting it out on i don't know youtube or even doing like an igtv or something because you're starting to see a lot of people use like igtv or using youtube for premieres and like i don't know tom wallace just premiered fresh squeeze last week and that was like a live youtube it's almost like a post-COVID people want to do that kind of thing versus yours is just available on Vimeo. And I like Vimeo. I like the format. I like the way it comes out, but was there a thought behind that or was that just kind of what they decided? Uh, well, there was some thought. The reason we're not putting it on Instagram, IGTV is we, uh, we really want, don't want people to watch this on their phones if possible. Okay. Like at least Makes maybe sense. on your laptop, if you can maybe watch it on like your TV, that would be cool with like a loud sound system um and of course we're touring it with this little film festival or film tour that Todd and I are doing and showing it on big screens there but um we do still plan to release the film on YouTube and we're just not exactly sure what YouTube channel I think we're going to kind of like stratify the release a little bit but our main principle with releasing first on Vimeo and pushing Vimeo is I really 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 want to get a staff pick (laughs) Mm, okay all right and Sweetgrass has gotten a lot. And um, so that's kind of our goal there and just kind of keeping it with this whole project. Like we obviously we want views and we want a lot of people to see this and we want those metrics to like prove that ROI back to our partners. But we are much more in, interested in engaged views and meaningful like viewers yeah. than like view, 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 view. Um, we want to get there. And I think that, you know, what I'm learning with this process, it's by no means been going perfect for sure, is that I feel like every time I release something online, the rules have changed. Mm. And so I feel like even the rules from when I released Snow Pony last year online to now, you know, there's a lot of content saturation. And I think our piece stands out, but it's still hard to get through that. Everybody's so busy. Outlets are really busy and tapped. Like nobody has the bandwidth to promote anything right now and so I think that it's weird because you feel pressure to put something out in a timely manner where you're in this like preseason stoke 
you know, fun storm, but (laughs) everybody else has the same idea. So um, honestly, I I mean, we're kind of still working that out. The film will go on YouTube at some point because we do, I do see that just the, with the recommended, um, the recommended watches and stuff, like it's, you you get more views, but we, I just think that Vimeo is kind of like a place where art lives and that's why we have it there first. Yeah, it's true. Do you worry like, about I say, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was even a thing that people actually like looked for. And then I, I think it was Shane McFalls told me that he was like, he's actively searching for one. He's been trying for years and years and years. And no matter what he puts out, they're just not giving him one. I didn't, I didn't even know that that was a, uh, I didn't even know it was a thing, but yeah. um, do you, when you have stuff like this, do you worry about what channel it goes out on? Uh, like yeah. for you, because it's your, it's you skiing, it's your content. And obviously, if it goes out on your channel, then it brings everything back to, you know, subscribers and likes and all that kind of thing. Do you, is that a consideration? Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't have a subscriber base on YouTube. I didn't jump on the YouTube train at the right time. And so I'm always kind of like trying to work with other partners. Like I released Snow Pony on TGR's YouTube and that can work really well, but then it also gets complicated with like music rights and stuff. Um, and I just think like this is something I'm trying to figure out is like how to release this stuff. And I think that's, what's hard with this new model of ski media being all these individualized projects, Mm. you know, it used to be, you'd go to either the MSP movie or the TGR movie and you'd see everybody in the same movie and it would tour and it was that. And now it's, you have those movies, although you don't have level one, you don't have poor boys anymore. You don't have all these other like smaller movies, but now everybody's doing their own project and it's hard to figure out how to get eyes on it and I think that's part of why we started the Powtown Revival Mm. film tour is just to give athletes like that an outlet to still connect with like audiences in small towns and like even our show here in Sun Valley on Tuesday night at Grumpy's everybody was like thank you so much for just bringing this to our town like thank you so much for just doing this and we're doing it really casual like shows are free most shows have free beer like Free raffle, just we're not we're not even trying to fundraise, you know. Maybe we'll get there later, but we're definitely not making any money. We just want people to come out and get together, you know, appreciate these ski communities that are so important to literally everybody that's part of the ski industry from top to bottom. Yeah, and then celebrate these these films that we put together and we work so hard on. And uh, yeah, it's like that collective energy is really important to the process. And in all honesty, like I'm I'm drowning and trying to figure out how to get views and what channel something should go on and how to make it worth it, you know, but I just, um, trying to rely on those, those people that are showing up in person and people that are having these actual experiences with my film, like quality over quantity right now. And that's not going to be what the film partners want to hear, but I think that there, it is really valuable. Um, yeah. I, I just, I honestly, I don't know how to navigate it because like I said, I feel like the rules of this game of online content change. It's so annoying. So fast. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't keep up. (laughs) It's so rapid. And there's, and you're right. There's so many individual projects now that it almost creates like there's too much content in a lot of ways. Um, Like there's just too much. And all of it is so good. Like you want to promote, but like, even I'm, I'm trying to like promote all these things. And there's, I'm on seven interviews this week. And realistically, if I waited seven weeks to put out every interview from just this week, that puts us past the time when most of these things even really matter to be promoted, right? So how do you figure out a way to, to 
I don't know, make it stand out. And, and in a lot of ways, I guess it is doing like a mountain town revival tour where like you're mixing multiple things in together. Um, and I think, I think that's a great thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's fun. And with the Powtown, we have like a really eclectic mix. Like we have my film, we have a film from Sam Cohen and Michelle Parker called Finding Fury, where they climb Mount Fury and it's this crazy mountaineering film. We have Phil Casabon's film in their super view. Um, we have a uh, wild card film we're showing at some stops. And we're going to have Sammy Carlson's film and like the later stops because it isn't done yet. So we're just trying <laughs> to keep it like super, like mix it up, you know, a little bit of a little something for everybody, you know? Yeah. No, I think, I think that's really important. Um, does, so completely unrelated to anything that we're talking about, this is like <laughs> one of my stock questions. Um, it's an Olympic year, basically. It's an Olympic season. Do you think that matters to you as a skier, as a professional skier? Because I was thinking about this the other day and I'm watching Michaela on like NBC or something. And it matters for ski racers. It matters for competition athletes, but I feel like it also shines a brighter light on the whole industry. Do you feel that way? Do you feel a bump on years when it's an Olympic year? Do, does it matter to you? I think it's really important. Um, and I think that I see that when I, when I look at the European ski industry compared to the U S ski industry and how much of the trickle down effect, you know, in Europe, ski racers are Michael Jordan. Famous. Right. And that trickles down to the free riders and the free skiers. And I think that the more eyes on the sport in general, um, especially like someone like me, I represent a sector of the sport where people can actually kind of almost do what I do in a way, you know, like maybe you can't wow. run downhill, but no, but like, you know, the, the more the resort, the free skiing part of it, which is what most people are going to come to the mountains to do. Mm -hmm. I find that sometimes resources are tied up on Olympic years in all honesty. Okay. So getting resources for non-Olympic projects within the ski hmm. industry can be super hard. Um, that being said, you know, my title sponsor is spider. And so they put so much into the Olympics and support that and support the other, you know, people on my team at spider that are going to the Olympics. And I think that this kind of relates back to what I was saying earlier about this, like mysterious crossover bridge to the non-endemic world. Like maybe the mists are slightly parted during the Olympics. And that's like your angle to try to get through and, and yeah. make connections with these like outside the sport world um, outlets. I, I worked with shape magazine a while back and I remember like the editor there being like, this is crazy. Like everyone needs to see this. Like, cause then especially like, I think as a woman, it reads even more like interesting kind of, you know, cause I think the, like the few moments of action sports that have like made it out of just the industry are typically usually men and usually like really, I don't know, like Cody's crack line or something like that. It's really like sensational versus like, I think, showing like a woman doing these things is like a whole nother side that like as much as like we're striving towards more gender gender equality and representation representation in the industry like it's not really there yet and i think that like that's a really big opportunity it's just hard to find those outlets and um yeah i think the olympics like helps in some ways but it definitely ties up budgets like i've definitely been told like mm -hmm. we don't have budget for this on olympic year so I didn't, I didn't even think of that. Like, I didn't even think, yeah. of I guess my, well, first of all, I'm a terrible budgeter. I'm terrible with money. Like I'm not a, I'm always, yeah, it's, it's just not a thing that I, I have the capacity to think about, but it, yeah, I guess that's an interesting point. And I didn't even consider it, but you're right. Like, I mean, there isn't really gender equality at this point in skiing. It's getting better for sure. And I feel like in the last couple of years, you've seen that more and more and more Did, how much, 
does that change what you do? Do you, have you had sponsors be like, okay, Amy, we want you in more things. Like, is this a, I don't know, like, has it actually changed or do we just talk about it more? I think it's changed in some ways. I think um, there's a lot more opportunity. And like, for example, this project I mentioned earlier, Spider, I think what's really cool is, is they're kind of revamping how they speak to women and what they do surrounding like marketing women. And instead of a bunch of men in a room coming up with a plan, they came to myself and a few of the other female athletes on the spider team and said, we want you guys to direct our women's campaign. Okay. And so like, I think that that's a cool change, like bringing women into like the decision-making process and giving us more of a voice. I think there's still, I mean, in all honesty, there's still a huge pay inequality in the industry. And I know I make really good money for my sponsors and I make more than some of my male counterparts, but it's still not necessarily even like proportionately reflective of like the number of skiers in, in the industry that are men and women. And so I think that this is something I've been trying to think about when I'm approaching, you know, a lot of my brand, the brands I work with and, and everybody rightly so is focusing on diversity initiatives. And I think I'm trying to really think of that way of trying to work out my feelings around tokenism and how I've been mm -hmm. the token and seeing where that got me and seeing how tokenism is just a marketing campaign. It's not actually changing anything yeah. and hoping to find ways to continue to support women's initiatives in the industry while still, while supporting also diversity initiatives and doing it in a way that's not tokenism. Yeah, I think that's I'm very really firmly hard. against that. I think, and I, I have be, have been had been a token, and having it not have gotten me anywhere sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think that it's really important to do things with a longevity minded, you know, outlook. Yeah, of it's like a what really, really hard thing. It's it's super hard to to balance and to figure out if a brand is like actually being authentic when they're like, let's have more women on let's, you know, more people of color, like these kinds of things are getting pushed as like, if your brand doesn't do it, they're kind of highlighted as the brand that isn't doing it. But if they do do it, there is the opportunity for people to be like, is this tokenism? Is this so like, I, I don't know how brands, I can't imagine being a brand right now and trying to figure out an authentic story to tell and telling it in a, cause I think a lot of these people that we deal with in this industry are actually really good people. And that's their, their intent is to put out something authentic and maybe it just wasn't talked about enough. So they didn't, they weren't aware of it as an issue. And I think that's come to come to light a lot recently where people were like, okay, we didn't even know that more people wanted to be involved, that we needed to have more women involved, that there is a pay discrepancy. And I think that's where the talking about it thing is, is really important, but I don't know that it's enough, right? Like, I think there's got to be some more changes as we go forward. So. Yeah, totally. And I think the hard part is there's no quick fix, you know? There's no like, oh, let's get this campaign dialed in before the next sales meeting or something, you know? Like, there's no quick fix here. It's kind of a long, long haul fix. And I think that, um, you know, that's hard for brands to work around, but I think transparency is key. And I think that, you know, you can tell like, oh, a brand signed all these women or signed all these people of color or whatever, but like how much resources are they giving them? How much are they actually supporting them? Because a lot of like, you know, what we can do as athletes comes down to how much support we have from a brand, you know, and I've been lucky to have a really good support with my brands, but I've also had to work 
really, really hard for it, beg for it. I was telling someone like to get this boots over brim made. I feel like I had to go into the hills and like mine for gold, like actually. <laughs> like it was hard, you know? And um I think I'm really lucky, but I, I also work really, really hard for it. And I know that um a lot of women don't get as much resources as I do, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've been around for a little bit, like you've been in the industry, you know? So I, I think once you're established, you start to get a little more of that too. So I think, you know, if you're somebody that's coming up in the industry, it could be really hard to figure out how to even, like, how to even ask for money. Like asking for money feels weird and not doing things for free, right? So many brands just want to do, like give you a ski and, or like give you a couple t-shirts and then you post about it because you're a really good ski. And then, and that part I think bugs me a lot because you're doing work for a brand, especially if it's at a professional level, uh, it's really important to actually be able to continue doing that work. And you have to do that by getting paid. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and that's actually, I guess a good way that you'll be able to tell if brands are with it or they're not with it is if they put their money where their mouth is too. And I think it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning too, though, like for people that are coming up, like it is a business, like you are. And I got, I got most of that, but we're good. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. I think it's, it's really important. And I hope, I hope people understand the business aspect of it. And I'm glad we kind of came full circle here because I think that's why you do get a lot of opportunities too, is you're presenting it in a, in a real cohesive way. It's not just because of any one reason. Um, And I think that's important to note too. It's, it's for the love of it though. You know, like people talk about loving their job and I do, I love all of my job and that is the photo shoots and creating media and working with sponsors and working on product. Um, all of that is really important to me. And that's my job. My job isn't just skiing. My job is so much more. And I think that getting to create something that I share with people and just even like with boots over brim, you know, sharing something that's so, it's just so me, like, it's almost like vulnerable. In a way. Like there couldn't yeah. be a project that's more me. Some of my closest friends, like the first thing they said, when they saw it, they're like, this is the most Amy thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's, that's like one of the cool rewards of my job. So like, obviously the powder days and the heli skiing. Yeah, that's cool too. But, um, you know, it is, it is more than that, you know? Yeah. Well, like the fundamental skiing is the fundamental, but there's a lot on top of it (laughs) for sure. And like I said, I really think it's your best work. It's to me, it's the most impactful work that I've seen from you. Like it is like you watch it and you feel something. And I think that's always when you're a creator, that's always the kind of thing that you look for. (laughs) Yeah. It's like people need to feel something. I watched it again this morning and it's just like, I love it. it's, it's great. Um, so where can people find the film? Obviously Vimeo, we want a staff pick, um, and we're pushing (laughs) for that hard. Um, where can people find you and up, this is going to come out on Tuesday. So where can people find you and up or next Tuesday? Um, so where can people find you? Where can people find you online, upcoming tours, the whole deal? Well, Instagram is kind of the number one channel and I'm at Amy ski, which is a M I E ski. Um, the film boots over brim is on Sweetgrass's Vimeo channel right now. Um, if you keep in touch on my social media, it'll be on 
YouTube at some point too, but that's, that's where it is for now. Um, and then we have the Powtown Revival film tour running throughout the fall. So the remaining stops at this point are um, Boulder on November 10th. We'll be in Bozeman on November 17th and Jackson Hole on November 18th. So if you're in any of those places, come join us. We, we do have a website, powtownrevival.com, where you can see what films are in the movie and what stops we have coming up. And I will also be on tour with Warren Miller going everywhere. So at this point, I'll still be in San Francisco, Connecticut, Boston, Boulder, potentially Seattle, and then at home at Palisades Tahoe. So you can catch me anywhere there. I'm also taking over the Warren Miller's Instagram for the whole duration of the tour. So um, if you want to see what it's like to just run around the country and sign posts, <laughs> tune into their Instagram. Um, but yeah, it's an exciting fall, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot going on and a lot to be really excited about. And Palisades is opening this weekend. So I'm going to go skiing this weekend right, right. in the middle of everything. And um, yeah, I just, I think more than anything, I'm so grateful just to have, to be able to ski, to be able to get together in person with people and share films. And I think any shred of normalcy is so valued at this point after last year. Um, no, things aren't back to hundred percent normal, but at least we're getting those pieces of the puzzle that are really important back. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, I'll probably come out and see you for Warren Miller in Boston and, uh, and we'll Perfect. see you guys soon, but, uh, thanks awesome. for the time. I appreciate it always, Amy. Thank you, Adam. Hello there. Um, this is the middle of the episode. We're about to chat with Cody Townsend. Um, but we have another sponsor for you today and that is Pearl Wax. Um, if you need wax, if you are a skier, if you are a snowboarder, um, I guess I never thought about the option for being anything else other than a skier or a snowboarder. But um, if you need wax, um, Pearl Wax has got you. Um, their their stuff is incredible. It is biodegradable, superior speed and durability. I mean, as is, you can tell, I'm just like reading the highlights here. Um, they're the best. They're like an actual company with actual people that work there, and they actually care about the planet. So um, if you want to save some money, 20% to be specific, on your first order at pearlwax.com. Just go to www.pearlwax.com. Use promo code out of bounds, all caps, and check out. That's it. Save yourself some money. Um, and that's it. Cool. Here's Cody. Cody, tell people, well, people know who you are, but tell people anyway, who are you? A uh, little bit about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Let's qualify that. I think skiers might know who I am. And then outside. There's plenty, plenty of skiers that don't. I'm, I'm fine with that. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of skiers that don't pay attention to professional skiing. So, um, But yeah, Cody Townsend, been a professional skier for a really long time now. I mean, I've been sponsored by Solomon for 22 years at this Holy point. Holy shit. Um, yeah, really, since I was 16 and as a, as a ski racer. Um, but then actually a professional free skier for less than that more like 17 years holy shit um are you bored of it yet no and that's why i think the great thing about skiing and that's why i think it's like just one of the most magical sports in the world is that you can kind of continually challenge yourself or continually adapt to like a new faction of the sport or learn something new about it. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm in my second or third career as a skier, you know, going from an Alpine ski racer, chasing dreams of trying to be on the U S ski team and the Olympics and downhill ski racing, all that, to then being a free skier to now more of like what, 
most people would call a ski mountaineer. So it's like I'm I'm 38 years or 36 years in on being a skier, and I still feel like I'm learning, and I still feel like there's more to go and more like creativity to to express in the sport. So that's what's really cool about it. Yeah, I've been bored at times, and that's what leads me to switch up and try something different. Yeah, yeah, I think you've evolved more than anybody that I can think of. I mean, it's just even with something as simple, like seemingly simple as the 50 project, right? People look at it now, it's kind of starting to be established and you're at 10 million views overall or whatever you just tweeted out the other day. Like it's so insane to me that you're just, you're moving on to the next thing. You're always doing something new. And I asked you right before we hit record, like how do you keep your head on straight? And your answer was you don't. And I think think that's something maybe people uh, aren't aware of is that you just kind of live in a constant state of like doing things. Yeah, pretty much. Like I would say like my personality is I'm a bit obsessive about things and I get bored easily. So when I've like had multiple factions or phases in my life where I get really obsessed with one thing. Um, So that like not necessarily skiing related. So like fly fishing for one point, like I got really into fly fishing and I learned everything there is to know about fly fishing, reading tons of books, going out there, doing it as much as possible and just like became super obsessed with it. And then, you know, life kind of changes. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, now I'm kind of more into rock climbing. I super obsessed with that. And so like I have these things where I just like, I'll do such deep dives on one thing that I get obsessed with. So over the past five years, that's become more like ski mountaineering and climbing for your own lines within within this side of the sport. And so to me, like, I just, I don't know, I guess I'm always seeking something new because I want to learn everything about that. And then again, I get bored with it and then I'm like, all right, what's next? Mm. Yeah, that's It's insane, man. Good for you. Um, Well, let's talk about something that you're probably very newly obsessed with. You have a child um, now. You are a father. So congratulations. Um, What has uh, the first, I don't know how long it's been exactly, but a few weeks been of uh, of dad life? Yeah, we're almost a month in. We're actually, what's wild is his due date is tomorrow, but he was born about three and a half weeks early. Uh, He was born super healthy everything was good. It wasn't like anything dangerous by any means. He just decided he wanted to come out early. He came out the day before the first snowstorm of the year. So I, I was saying that he didn't want to <laughs> miss the first snowstorm. Um, but uh, yeah, man, it's been interesting. Um, it's kind of like what I would sum it up is like everyone tells you this. Every There's the cliches about parenting of like, yeah, it's really hard. It's really exhausting, um, but it's absolutely amazing. And you don't didn't know you could love something so much. And that's 100% what I've experienced so far like it is it's brutal like you're at you know getting woken up for the fourth time at three in the morning and you've slept maybe a total of an hour and he's screaming and you don't know why because it's your first kid and you're like is he farty or is he hungry or is he just something totally different and you're trying to you're like what the hell is going on you're trying to soothe this kid and you really want to soothe it because he's screaming at you and he's your baby um and then you figure it out and you get through it and then like the next morning he's like laying in your your lap and you're looking at him you're just like filled with like overwhelming joy for like you're like oh my god this little baby is so amazing so um it's been it's been cool like that um just learning what it is to raise a child uh i still kind of trip out on i'm like wait i'm like an actual dad now like this is this is my kid no going back from this i can't i can't be like hey yeah this didn't work out i don't really <laughs> like him so uh so yeah so it's been interesting yeah i so what 
how is that going to change your season? How is that going to change your skiing? How is that going to change your career? And obviously, like, when you have a kid, I assume, those things kind of take the backseat as opposed to this life that is in front of you. But mm-hmm. how is it going to change what you have up? Like, and I'm sure you've planned kind of around this at this point, but... Totally. And I think it is a little difficult. It's both beneficial and it's also difficult being my wife is a professional skier as well. So, you know, we have the benefit of like, we could be at home whenever we want working from home, but at the same time we have to go out and go ski and practice our sport and do missions and all that kind of stuff. So balancing that both in the winter is going to be difficult. So I think more planning is going to be really, really important. Um, we've already kind of put our plans together. We did it actually way before he was born. So, um, you know, we're going to have to more move and travel as a family. And there'll be times I'll have to sacrifice to stay home, stay with a kid while she goes and films. And that's totally fine and vice versa. So it's just going to, you know, a little more sacrifice. I think the main thing people would be most interested in is and people is like the risk factor, um, you mm-hmm. know, of, of going out there and doing what is basically dangerous things and having a kid at home and so far i don't think it'll change anything because i've been pretty i would say a risk adverse person even though i do get myself into dangerous situations but for the most part i feel like i've been very good in my career on trying to plan and be smart and make correct decisions to come home at the end of the day so for, for that i don't think anything's going to actually drastically change because that's been my goal even before before he was born so um you know having him at home sure like i might miss him a little bit more and want to come home a little more but for the most part it's not going to change anything in the way i i take risk i would say um because yeah the goal has always been to come home at the end of the day yeah for sure and i think that's that's definitely important to note but it's like you're skiing really difficult shit in scary terrains there is a high level of risk and i mean even you posted today i think about almost dying on the 50 pro like when filming the 50 project episode that's coming out this upcoming Wednesday. So, or I guess it'll be this yeah. past Wednesday when this episode comes out. So like what, <laughs> like that's, well, that that's one, insane. What happened on this one since the episode of, yeah, I can tell you that one was just dumb. It was more like just name not paying attention. So, uh, that one was me getting heat stroke. Um, trying to what ride my f- bike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I learned this after the fact that, um, heat you need to be acclimatized much like you need to altitude um your body actually goes through transformations and that's where like there's like a usually when there's the first heat wave of the year is when there's the most deaths in our population because people aren't acclimatized to it so if it's been really cold your blood the way your oxygen system it doesn't necessarily it has to adapt to that to transport oxygen to your muscles and cool itself down well me being a skier and then trying to ride my bike from from Death Valley, the lowest point in the United States, all the way to the base of Mount Whitney to then climb the highest point in the the lower 48 all within 24 hours. Um, I didn't factor in the fact that it was going to be 98 degrees and I was probably going to pop. And sure enough, I popped and it was actually pretty scary for a little bit. I was like, you know, my heart rate was racing at about like 160 beats per minute while sitting in a car in air conditioning. So just like almost max heart rate just sitting there for like 20 minutes. And, you know, if you, you literally you can, your heart can pop at that point. So it was it was a little gnarly, but I also just looked at it as very dumb like inexperience so you know that's that's the thing uh riding your bike in the desert uh less risky than skiing 
I have a lot less in, uh, experience in riding my bike in the desert. So that left me to it when it comes to mountain decisions. That's been my whole whole life has been centered around it. So I'm hopefully going to make much better decisions in the mountains than making dumb decisions <laughs> like riding your bike in the desert at noon. Why, why is that like, is doing and completing the 50 project not enough for you? Like you have to do more than just do it I, yeah i don't know i'm t- like, like, i don't understand <laughs> i've had friends tell me like you just have a perpetual goal to try and make the 50 project more difficult than it already is yeah and i think there's two things to it one yeah i like challenging myself i like putting these you know you see these things you're like i wonder if i can do that and then usually when i that pops in my head if i say i wonder if i can do that then i'm gonna try which kind of sucks because then i do stuff like that but i also think there's this other factor is like when it comes to the the episodes themselves, like I do, I like telling creative stories. I like having something different. Mm. And to me, something like skiing Mount Whitney, it's a beautiful line. It's a beautiful mountain, but it's pretty simple and pretty straightforward. And so like, just to go out there and go ski it, there's not much story there. So like, I also like to be like, Hey, like here's a unique story. Like Mount Whitney is 135 miles away from the lowest point in the United States. That's kind of cool. So let's try and connect those points via human power, which is a thing. Like there's the Badwater Basin Marathon where they, they run to the base 135 miles to of Whitney. Um, they don't go to the summit, but they just go to Whitney Portal. Um, there's an FKT for um, people biking and doing what we tried to do. So it is kind of a thing. Um, I just wanted to tell that story. and. <laughs> The story ends up being pretty good because, you know, yours truly almost dies doing it. <laughs> I, uh, what is your relationship like now with Bjarne from when you guys started this whole thing? Because I got to tell you, like, I'm very impressed with what you do, but I'm more impressed with what he does in a lot of ways because he's filming and he's like taking part in this whole journey. And that seems extremely difficult too. And he's not the like, the star of the 50 project, but in a lot of ways he is, you know? Uh, so what is your relationship like since this whole thing has started? Totally. Like Bjarne, you know, him and I knew each other, but obviously we didn't know each other to this extent. And the the thing about Bjarne and what makes him so special is what we're doing is like getting your camera to these places is the hardest part, like by far, not, not the cinematography, not necessarily crew framing good shots, all that kind of stuff. It's literally just getting the camera to the, in those places. And it's kind of like why Jimmy Chin is Jimmy Chin, because he's able to get a camera up the face of Maru and get it up, uh, you know, on on El Capitan to, to shoot free solo and whatnot. And there's very few people in the world that can do what Bjarne does. I mean, I would count less than, you know, five people potentially that put cameras to there so so that's what makes him truly truly special is that he's really strong in the mountains he's got good decision making and he's able to take his camera out even when it's in like a super exposed sketchy spot he feels very comfortable with that so you know that's ultimately what makes him really special partner for this whole thing and you know one of the things i told him from the very get-go was like before we shot our very first episode i was like look he I want you to be a part of this. Like you are, this isn't just a floating camera. Like this needs to be, you are BRNA and you need to turn your camera on yourself at times. We need to like feature you because people are going to be interested. Like what's going on with this, this camera guy behind it. And I think we've been more and more developing that. Like I think he's a little camera shy at times to turn it around on himself. But um, the more we do it, the more he feels comfortable with it. And I think the more people like it, like our last episode castle was 
pretty much just about him and I interacting and doing our thing in the backcountry. And it was very well received because it was just like, oh, it looks like two guys going and having fun out in the backcountry. And what it, it's what it really is when him and I go out there. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship is very it's a very fun dynamic. And I think that's part of the reason that this show is so successful, because people are interested in the back and forth between the two of you, right? Like it doesn't feel like a solo, just you project. And and I don't mean that as a slight to you in any way. I think it's great, but it's, I don't know, it shows more than just you. Well, what I actually looked at it very in the the get-go, and I've told this story a few times, but you know, it was like the dream of doing the 50 came far before I figured out how the hell to do a media side of this. And as a professional skier, I was like, well, I should probably do a media side of this. And then also starting to think of like, oh, what kind of stories could I tell? But um, it was pretty like early on that I knew that I was like, you know, like when I came up with the episodes idea and doing this like YouTube series and this like continually just producing episode after episode, I was like, people are going to get sick of just me. I was like, mm. I really can't carry this whole thing. And that's when I really put an emphasis. Like I kind of wrote down my like three, four goals and uh, of the episodes. And one of them was like highlight local characters, local heroes, local pros, people that define that area. So it was from the get go was like, I need good partners and different partners the whole time. And it's been kind of cool to be able to, to feature people that people might not know about outside of their local area, but they're complete local heroes, you know, people that maybe define that area in a a more cultural way. So there's these, it's been kind of cool to be able to really help bring the series together by featuring so many other people. Hmm. How, so you touched quickly on like the business and like the selling side of it, but like the you're very good at the business aspect of this skiing thing. And I mean, you've been doing it for 22 years as a professional, but how important is that part for pro skiers? And I feel like I've been having this conversation a lot with people lately because it's kind of become more important. And I think agents are becoming very prominent. And I think people are starting to realize like, I need to be more than just a skier because people don't just give a shit about skiing only anymore. They want to know you as a person, they want to see your brand. And they also want to like the brands that you're working with want to kind of use you in more than just one way. So uh, how is navigating the business of skiing been for you? Well, first I would say like when it comes to like the personality, people have always wanted to see the personality. And I think personality is what defines who's ends up being stars in sports. Like, the reason Shane McConkey is a, is a god is not only because he was one of the most amazing skiers of all time, one of the most innovative skiers of all time, one of the most stylish skiers and did the gnarliest, craziest stunts, who's also the best personality we've ever seen in skiing. And mm. that's partly why he, he is who he is. So that factor of it is like something where you do have to be more than just a skier if you want to be a professional skier for a long time. And it's, you have to show your personality because people most likely are going to be more interested in you if you are showing your personality, but on the business side of it, yeah, it's, it's super important. And I try and pass on a lot of the information I've learned to younger generations because I felt like the older generations like Shane, Ken Kreitler, JT, they kind of passed a lot of that info on to me. And I've just been able to kind of learn from there and, and take it to where I want to be. Um, you know, the the fact is, like, you can't just rip at skiing and then expect money to come. Like, it yeah. just doesn't happen that way. And, you know, for certain people, you can 
focus on strictly performance and not put it out there and you're just so good at skiing that you're probably going to getting paid but it's very very few and then you're also probably going to have a shorter career because you're not able to you know build something bigger than just your performance um so to me like learning the business side of it it's it's really important it's the boring stuff it's the stuff that's hard but it's ultimately like it's being a professional skier is a job and you have to treat it like a job. And if you don't treat it like a job, then you're probably going to be out of the job pretty quickly. So, um, you know, for me, like I just, I, I do a lot of the work on the back end, mainly because I want to be a skier for a long time. And this is an amazing job. I get to travel the world. I get to ski rad places. I get to people pay me to go skiing. So if that means putting more time in on the computer, putting more research into how to be good at the business side of it, then I'm going to do that because it just allows me to be a professional skier for longer. Mm. Have you thought about doing things like I was talking to Wallish last week and he was talking to me about the commentating aspect and it was something he always wanted to do and it was it was something that fits his personality is that does that type of thing interest you post ski career at all i mean you're you're you can talk well the the opportunities there in a lot of different aspects but and i mean on years like this is an olympic year right so there's people want to hear from their favorite people in the sport mm-hmm. that they're watching right um have you given any consideration to things like that uh, I definitely have. I've kind of given consideration to kind of like all post performance based skiing retirement <laughs> options, I would say, you know, like whether it's commentating, whether it's guiding, skiing with clients, all these kind of things that are that are out there. But, you know, for me, like those things don't interest me as much like being a commentator. Sure, it's fun, but like I don't know where I would go with it and it doesn't necessarily fully drive me, um, you know, doing things. I don't know, like being part of the media. Some sort like, yeah, it's interesting to me, but it's not driving me like what I think what really is driving me and what's really like in my mind for the next step is really figuring out how to give back in some certain way. Um, like I've have ideas for, you know, foundations and for things of, of figuring out ways to continue to allow for access for skiing, to make it easier access for skiing, for continuing to, you know, open the doors that feel like they continually shut to more and more people because of their financial situation or where they were, where they grew up or something like that. So I'm kind of more interested in, in, you know, when I transition, it's more like, I'd like to work more on giving back to, the mountains to the sport to the community that i feel like has given me so much that has supported me through all this so that you know this can continue on because i think it's a great life and if there's a couple kids lives you can change permanently and they leave a happy great life because of it then that i could consider that a win so mm. that's more what i'm interested in um you know i still got a bit longer i think with the ski career and i'll see where it takes me um i don't know how much longer but we'll, we'll see. Um, I'll, well, you know, I kind of, I, everyone asked me like, what's next after the 50, which is kind of wild. Cause I'm not even done yet. <laughs> and I think it's going to take quite a lot longer, but, uh, you know, for me, like, I think I'll find out what's next when I'm done with it, because who knows, I might be driven to continue on with this sort of project, or I might be driven to, you know, work on the, the given backside of things. I don't know. I don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of hate that. I hate the what's next question because you really never know until you know, unless you like have a plan. And I feel like at that point you would have talked about it enough. Um, Are you still doing the, you're doing a blister podcast as well? 
Yeah, totally. I've been doing that on the monthly. It was uh, like, I don't know, that's been kind of fun to me and just uh, experimenting with that. Um, just, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I was kind of like, you know, like I want to, I want to talk about in the ski industry more like, or not just ski industry, but outdoor industry, like talk about what's going on out there, yeah. give analysis on what's going on as opposed to, uh, you know, just a typical kind of interview formats, which are strong in their own way but i was also like let's i talked to jonathan i was like let's let's do somewhere we're like just talking about what's going on and out there um so we've called it reviewing the news and we've been doing it on the monthly and it's been it's been kind of fun um you know that's the thing too like when it comes to commentating like i would say i'm okay at it but i don't don't really think i'm super good at it i think there's there's people that are just uniquely talented when it comes to audio when it comes to commentating when it comes to you know being a part of the media and i'm like I consider myself okay at it. So to me, like that doesn't necessarily drive me to like pursue to be better at it. Yeah. But I think it's funny that you say that because people really value your opinions on things like whether, whether it be skiing or politics or, you know, even just things like climate change, right? Like Mm -hmm. people actually really give a shit about your opinion. And I think that's why something like reading the news is, is really important. Like, I think that is something that people care about. And I don't know, I, it's enjoyable, I think in a lot of ways. Well, thank you. And I mean, part of the reason, like, one of the things I think I've always valued, and I think this comes from the family I grew up in, was like education was very, very important in my family. And going to college and being, you know, being smart was more important than anything else I did. And education was always drilled into me to be like, it's the one thing no one can um, take away from you. And I remember talking with Chris Rubens, a good buddy of mine, uh, a while ago, and we were talking about like, what kind of impact do you want to have on the ski industry? And he said to me, he's like, he's like, well, you're really smart. You should like try and work on that and, you know, give back in that sort of way. And I was like, huh, really? And so I've kind of like really, I like in a certain way that kind of festered in my head for a long time. And I was like, you know, I should try to, you know, if I know about something and I feel like I'm educated about it, then maybe I should talk about it. Um, Mm. You know, I try not to talk about things that I'm not educated upon. I try not to talk about things that are like, I have a just glaring understanding of that i don't really know it so i I will if i'm going to talk about something i want to like actually provide value for people um so that's kind of i you know one of the things i've i've thought about since since that initial conversation yeah do you get a lot of like the stay in your lane kind of commentary like from people i'm sure right of course yeah Yeah. of course (laughs) yeah no totally you get it all the time i got it yesterday just tweeting about You're just like, you get it every time and it's whatever. It's like the, it's like the dumbest, easiest argument to fall back on. So like, it's no, it's completely know, brainless. It's completely, it's brainless. completely brainless. Totally. Yeah. You're just like, I don't agree with you. So let me say the one <laughs> thing I can say, which is going to be appointed at you as an individual, not at the argument. And you're like, Hey, like, what about the argument? They're like, I got nothing for that. So, um, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, can I talk to you a little bit about running? It seems like you've picked up running as a thing that you're enjoying lately. Uh, you ran a long ra- I'd like to talk about the race that you ran. And uh, and I actually need some advice as well. I'm running a 50K next week, and I've done oh, sick. nothing so far. I've done 12 miles this year uh, combined. So um, we'll see how it goes. But that's uh, why did you pick up running? What made you decide to do this? Well, I think it started, it was last year. So... You know, with this, the the 50, like, one of the things I realized is, well, like, my 
physical capabilities have drastically changed from, you know, performance-based free skiing. I always thought I was like, you need to be powerful and explosive and strong, not only to, you know, do the sport, but also to kind of prevent injuries. And then all of a sudden I'm doing these endurance challenges. And it was last year that I was like, all right, you know what? I need to like work on this. So I hired a trainer from the uphill athlete team. And the first thing I said to him when we were doing our first interviews was like, I don't like running. I hate running. He's like, yeah, okay. He's like, pretty much he didn't tell me, but he's like, you're going to have to run. But what he did was he subtly taught me how to enjoy running. And what it really was, was he taught me how to run slow, like really slow. Hmm. And to me, that was what was the key. Like, I think just like people would watch if they were to watch a ski film and watch what's going on in Alaska and then they go to Alaska and they're like, cool, I'm gonna go ski Alaska spine lines, they're gonna tomahawk and hurt themselves or die. <laughs> yeah. And the same goes for running. Like when you watch a running video, we're watching Killian Journey like right. bounding like a deer up the mountain. So you see that kind of stuff and I would be like, okay, here's this hill. I gotta run up it. And all of a sudden you're just like you know, tasting blood and metal in your mouth and you're gasping for air and your heart is beating through your chest and you're like, this is awful. My knees hurt everything. And you realize like, that's not how you run. Like you're watching one of the most talented athletes of all time do it. And you're trying to run like that. That's not how you do it. (laughs) So my trainer kind of taught me how to run slow and how to pace myself and learn your heart rates and learn how to strike your feet. And all of a sudden I would be like, because of that, I'd be running like 10 minute to 13 minute miles on trails and just being like an hour and a half in going like, wow, I'm loving this. Like my knees don't hurt. My ankles don't hurt. My heart rate's at a great place. And I'm just at this really good pace and I'm really enjoying this. And then you're like, oh, can I do that for two hours? Can I do that Mm. for three, four, five? And then all of a sudden, yeah, you're feel like you're comfortable doing a 50k race which is what i felt like this last year um when i got asked if you wanted to do the broken arrow sky race at at palisades tahoe so uh yeah that's my my advice is run slow um the other thing i've learned about like mountain running is it's mountain walking and it's like ultra walking quite Mm. often so you just walk if you have to Um, i mean i literally calculated i was like all right i have 12 hours to finish 52 k's if i can do 20 minute miles through the whole way i can do it and then you're kind of like well I can walk a 20 minute mile. So if I'm like running part of it and then walking, like I could do this. So you're like, cool, that's it. So it was actually way easier than I kind of thought it was going to be. So, so my advice for you, just go slow, go super slow. Don't pop yourself. Enjoy it. Yeah. That's one of the things that I struggle with, with running. And it's one of the reasons that I like riding bikes so much is that running is, you look at the Strava, right? And you're like, oh, I'm doing 10 minute miles. That's garbage, right? It's, I got to go faster than that. And it's the ego of it. I think that I get caught up in so much with running and it's hard when you're looking at this thing, especially on Strava and you're putting it out to the world and you're like, this is the kind of mile that I'm running these days. And, uh, yeah, that, that part took me a little, that's been the hardest thing I think for me to get over. Um, ego is a powerful drug, man. Um, you know, even for me as a professional athlete, I feel like that's even sometimes more amplified because people think I'm like some fitness freak and some, you know, ultimate guy that can go forever or whatnot. And I'm like, cool. I did, I did nine miles at 13 miles, uh, 13 minute miles. (laughs) Yeah, no, but that's what I do. And that's what's, it's awesome about it. So burying that I think is really important. I mean, if you're doing 10 minute miles in the mountains, you're actually doing really, really good. (laughs) Oh, I'm not, I'm not by any means. I'm just using that as a reference point. I'm terrible. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm, and at this point, like I'm too 
close that I'm like, eh, I'll go for a few runs this week and yeah. I'll, I'll deal with it when I deal with it. But I kind of had the same mentality where I'm like, okay, if I can walk part of it, we'll figure it out. Like if I have to spend all day, all day, it's, it's not the end of the world. So we'll, yeah, see, we'll totally. see what happens. But um, yeah, be- because of that, now I run slow. Now I enjoy it. And I think it's like such a, it's one of these sports, like it's, I think it's, beautiful because it's just so simple you put on a pair of running shoes and you just start well you know moving through the mountains and moving through trails and it's just like you kind of lose yourself out there and it's 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 pretty fun like i've mountain biking in a certain way taken a little back seat to me but just because of almost like this meditative kind of state that you get in while while trail running while being out there and you know mountain biking i think is incredibly fun but it's very aggressive and it's very you're kind of like having to really really focus on not eating shit well at least i do and then you know for for running you just all of a sudden you're like two hours in and you're just at this good pace and you're like i don't know i feel like it's a really great way to connect with nature and kind of connect with the with yourself and it's a it's a cool way to do it i feel it feels like very natural feels very like human to do yeah um a couple more things I wanted to ask you. Um, first of all, what what's the story with this Joey Gilbert person? Can I ask you about this? Oh, like yeah. the middle finger, because like I, it's funny, it's hilarious. I just don't get how it started. And then I saw he responded like earlier yeah. this summer or whatever it was, and it's hysterical that he's taking it in such an offensive banner. Like I'm just like I don't under, I just don't get it. Yeah, it's it's awesome because yeah, people don't know really the backstory to it, and I get it all the time, and I just don't even answer because it's kind of <laughs> it's such a stupid story. And it really started. It was Emily Harrington, um, the professional climber, uh, Michelle Parker, and I uh, kind of just had this like inside joke thing because so when you fly out of the Reno airport, if you're leaving from Reno, quite often your flights are at five or six in the morning. That's when a majority of the flights leave Reno. So you're leaving Tahoe. You're waking up at three in the morning. You're racing down there. You're super tired, super groggy. And, you know, there's times in the year where you're all of a sudden like catching like a flight a week out of Reno. And it just became this thing. There's this long hallway when you're walking down, you're just staring at this freaking ad with this guy who looks like a boxer <laughs> and this weird Google font of who he is. And he's like a personal injury lawyer, like ambulance chaser. And so it became a thing of just like, it was more of a you'd Instagram story it to your friends to be like, yeah, I'm out of town again and I'm wake up super early and I'm really annoyed because I keep staring at this stupid ad for like five (laughs) minutes walking down this hall. And so it started just like we just Instagram that. And then all of a sudden it took like a more angry twist where we started flipping it off for some reason. And then we kind of learned actually who that guy is. And he's very, very worthy of flipping off. He's a horrible, horrible human (laughs) being. And so it's like, even though like it kind of started innocent enough and flipping off, it was more a reflection of ourselves and this inside joke. Then we were like, oh no, this guy actually totally sucks. So it feels really good to flip him off. Um, Just like he was at the January 6th insurrection. Let's put it that way. Oh that my, yeah, 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 yeah. So, got it. Um, he's running for governor now in Nevada. He's Is he like, really? Yeah, yeah. So, what when he fuck? did, when he did respond to me, it was 
awesome because I could tell he'd seen these over and over because I would tag him. I was not afraid. I'm like, I'm tagging this guy. And, and, uh, he just took it so seriously. And like, I had some super big issue with him and it just like was trying to, oh yeah, he called, I was trying to cancel him was the thing, which was funny because I'm like, dude, this started, we were just flipping you off. This has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Nothing to do with anything. It was just like, I don't know, like he could have been the exact opposite personality and we would have been flipping it off. We might have not have turned it into the joke that he that it became because of kind of who he is and kind of him responding. But to see it spreading and to see more and more people flipping off is just it's just funny. It's it's hilarious. And I like the I hope he sees it because it's just it's hilarious. Like we're just trolling some D-bag lawyer. Great. Like yeah. not a big deal. So. Yeah. And any and if he had any self-awareness, I feel like he'd be able to be like, oh, yeah, this is just a like this is it's fine. Totally. Like this is totally. I'm doing this in front of a fucking in front yeah. of everybody at this airport I, th- I think i saw like gaffney's kids like flipping him off and shit too like it's amazing oh yeah it's amazing it's totally amazing yeah he the story backstory of him he was like a uh he was an amateur actually like collegiate boxer and like like national champion oh, really? boxer. like he could kick my ass in a heartbeat like there's no doubt if that guy saw me in the streets he would beat the living shit out of me i would have no chance whatsoever <laughs> so i think he's taking that part of his personality he also got banned from the sport for performance enhancing drugs perfect so this is also kind of that fitting to it as well so just all all around it this little innocent inside joke that has turned into something bigger and it's really funny and i laugh at it all the time and i get tagged and some of the creative stories that people are putting up with all their kids rolling by and flipping it off i'm like this is this is great dude that's uh that's amazing i had no idea but if i'm ever in reno i'll be sure to join the club um <laughs> i wanted to ask you too so i've been chatting with people a lot lately like it occurred to me today that it's an olympic year and like that matters um for skiing and Mm -hmm. i think it shines a positive light on the sport and it kind of gives people another reason to to think about skiing and to think about their favorite athletes and all this kind of thing and i asked amy earlier amy anger earlier if she thought it helped at all and her take was a little different than what i expected and she thought Maybe the Olympics weren't such, they're a good thing and a bad thing, right? A good thing because it does shine a nice lens on everybody involved, but it also ties up a lot of the budget that is already very limited for professional skiers. So do you have thoughts on that? Like what is, how does that, has that been said to you before? Have you even thought about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as almost Amy is. Like, I think there's a lot of beneficial things and i think it's awesome to every four years to have the the sport in front of people and kind of showing how cool or interesting it can be and showing some of the personalities of it i think it it can be really awesome i also don't think it's the the driver of business and the driver of growth in the ski industry like people treat it it is um you know i look at it as like the olympics is what we've the free skiing like either half pipe skiing or park skiing has been in at least three olympics in that time we've pretty much watched the i would say the complete not death but just the real slow degradation of park skiing and pipe skiing Mm -hmm. they're becoming less and less relevant in ski industry so you're like well shouldn't have the olympics kept that going what what is Mm. missing out about this like why why if these two aspects of the sport are in the olympics why are they not 
growing? Why are they shrinking pretty drastically? And there's probably a ton of different factors for that, but it's obviously the Olympics aren't helping continue to bring it along. So I don't think it's necessarily the driver that the ski industry thinks it is. And tying up a lot of money into it is like not as beneficial as putting it into storytelling, creative events, other sorts of projects, you know? I I personally would rather see the money that goes thrown into the Olympics into more like the the backcountry events like the Skiers Cup or, um, you know, the line catcher or things like that that seem to be going away and that were really, really cool aspects of the sport. Um, again, like I, I think it's rad that it's in the Olympics. I think it's good for certain people, but I also <coughs> do think it's mainly a driver of personalities like mm. maybe one or two people come out of the start the sport a total star kind of like Gus Kenworthy came out of those yeah. first Olympics this is like now he's a massive massive star he's much yeah. bigger than skiing but did that do much for skiing probably not um so I'm 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 a mixed bag with it I think for certain sports it does really good things I think for our sport it's it's just I'd, I'd say it's almost neutral and sometimes can be negative if there people are putting too much money into it. I also do think it can be positive if, you know, the right stories come out about it and, and you know, the great creativity and personalities come out of it. So, um, I mean, I'll be watching for sure and I'll be interested. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it's, it's a little weird to me. And I think the competition side of park and pipe is really what's, I think the, the indie projects, the small things that are coming out, like things like the bunch, like those are, those are blowing up right now, but there's almost there's limited interest, I guess, in the actual competition scene because, and I think there's a few different reasons for it, but uh, Olympic competition for freestyle and especially pipe is not what it used to be. Like, I mean, watching totally. it when, you know, Tanner was in it or Simon was in it, like it was a totally different thing than it is now. Um, and I just kind of think we're in a different place. But in that same vein, always, go ahead. Well, I always think about the origin stories that individuals tell about their obsession with a sport or their their dive into it. And generally it starts with some sort of media. It doesn't start with like, I watched an event. It generally starts with like, I watched this one movie, whether it was like back in the day, a Warren Miller movie or reading mm. Powder Magazine or something like that. And then they're like, that's why I moved west or that's why I did, you know, bought my first pair of skis or something. And so I look at like, I even look at my origin story when it comes to rock climbing, like, I knew about rock climbing. It was right in my backyard for a long time. You'd see competitions. I would know, have no idea what's going on with it. And it wasn't until I watched the movie Valley Uprising, um, which was an amazing film, that I was like, whoa, this community, the stories, all this thing about it is amazing. I kind of want to get into rock climbing. And, you know, I remember my mom even watching. She was like, that movie was absolutely amazing. She was like more fascinated by Yosemite and rock climbing in general. She doesn't do that. But, you know, I, I look at like, the drivers of passion to be more about storytelling um, and more about individual personalities, you know, telling their stories than than competition. Mm. Competition to me is just like kind of entertainment. And you're like, oh, that was cool. But I mean, how many sports have you watched outside of, of skiing and been like, watched a competition? And you're like, cool. And I want to go surfing because I watched a WSL event. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and, that's what my next question was, was like, okay, we have the free ride world tour, right? It's a little more free. You've got some of the bigger stars in skiing that are starting to kind of make appearances there. But one, I feel like it's marketed fucking terribly. And two, I just, 
I don't know that people give a shit about it, even though they really could give a shit about it, right? Like yeah. they they have ways to go see their favorite skiers ski huge lines already. Do they need yeah. to do it in a competition scene? Sometimes it's really cool. Sometimes it's really not cool. And I think there's a it's a hard balance because skiing wants that live sporting event style thing that like a basketball, a baseball, a football has. And there's just not a great way to do it that I've seen yet. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just don't know. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I think the free ride world tour right now is one of the coolest things going. And I think the like level of the sport is at a place where you watch individual runs and there's so much creativity and so much skill that's going on that it is really like the, the level of skiing in the free ride world tour is pretty off the charts. Um, I do agree. I don't think they're necessarily marketing it super well, especially in North America. Um, you know, the, the, I don't know why that just paused it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, the, you know, the thing to me, what I've always noticed with competition is Europeans call care far more about competition than Americans do. Like mm. our movie scene is far, far bigger in North America than it is in Europe and vice versa. In Europe, the competition scene is way, way more important than the the storytelling. So, um, you know, I, I would love to see the Free Ride World Tour continue to grow in North America. I think there's some things they can do, but they do have unique challenges. Putting competitions on in North America is probably 10 times as hard than it is in Europe, uh, mainly for permitting and insurance reasons um i dealt with it pretty early on when we were trying to put in competitions here like on tram face at uh, yeah. palisades was like it, it was a nightmare the the amount of money that they had to spend on insurance and permitting was makes them completely unfeasible whereas in europe like they're like yeah I don't know. You guys can ski on that face. Sure. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. Um, so the, I, I would hope that they have more North American presence. Cause I think that would really help the sport grow here. But at the same time, I know how difficult it can be. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll see what happens kind of in the future. I feel like it got a nice bump over the last couple of years. There has been some good highlights on it. And I think it's, don't get me wrong. Like I like watching it. I think it's a blast. And I think the skiing is phenomenal, and I think seeing the skiers and snowboarders adapt to whatever the changing conditions are throughout the day is one of the coolest parts because that's real, that's authentic, that's actual skiing in so many different ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't know that people care about it enough um, on the day-to-day. -day. Oh, I totally agree. I think it's you have to be a pretty core ski fan to be able to enjoy it. Um, it's it's pretty hard to access. It's pretty hard to watch. That's um, maybe I, part of the other issue is that it's actually hard to find channels to watch it consistently. And I mean, totally, just not not easy access. And I think that part's on them. And I don't know who's. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, not for me to give advice on. But um, last thing I want to ask you: we have a mutual sponsor now in Onyx um, Backcountry. They have been phenomenal for me to work with. I kind of wanted to know what you're doing with them. I saw the 50 project lines on there as well. And I want to know how your experience has been with them so far. Well, it's interesting because I remember when Onyx came, I would hear stuff about Onyx Hunt and Onyx Off-Road. Right. And be like, you need really, people are like, you should get that app. It really does help. And I remember actually using it to find like trailheads and whatnot. And um, they reached out to me a bit over a year ago and they're like, well, okay, we want to get in the backcountry space. And one of the coolest things about it is they were like, what do we do? How do we make this good? Like, we want to hear from you guys how, what we need and what we do. So I've been 
very, very involved with him on developing that app for for skiers and for backcountry um, users. So um, it's been kind of cool to be like, literally, I'm like, we need to, to have this. And then three weeks later, they turn it around and it's all of a sudden in the app. And like, that's one of the things too, is like, they're really, really good at the tech side of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're 300 people that work for Onyx and I'll watch things happen in two weeks and a complete turnaround. So um, I think what's been cool about it is just like the fact that they're developing this from the direct feedback of their their users, their sponsored athletes, the people that are the the, the power users of this. So I'm seeing stuff more and more and more where it's be, becoming just that much more useful and I continue to see it go that way. So um, they've been an awesome company. Like just, you know, how like we you hear it a lot is like, oh, they just get it. Well, the people at Onyx, they're based in Montana. They're all like half the people I talk with are skiers themselves or they're the rest of them are either hunters or off-road or they're, they're just like, users of public lands and wild spaces so they they get it they're not it's not talking to a silicon valley tech company you know who could maybe do this really good on the tech side of things but like have no idea what you're talking about and are focused on much different things like talking to those guys then the they're just like oh yeah we we get that we've tested that because our employees were out this weekend using it so it's kind of a it's been a it's been a very cool company to work with i definitely dig dig their products and dig the company awesome very cool um well cody thank you for the time i appreciate it um no problem where uh where can people find you or obviously where can people find the 50 project and anything else that you have going on right now please tell people uh yeah you can find me in a niche outdoor meme group chat every (laughs) once in a while I wasn't going to uh, talk about it. I wasn't sure that we were like actually going to put that out there. Yeah, it's, it's you know, there's, Isn't that there's shit a little secret, the secret group out there. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, you can find the 50 Project on YouTube. I always tell people just like Google it. Just Google the 50 or Google my name on YouTube. You'll, you'll find it instantaneously. Uh, otherwise, at Cody Townsend on Instagram, at Cody Townsend on Twitter. I kind of like Twitter is my like more favorite thing because it's more yeah. like thoughts and ideas. But um, but I know it's small and people just want to see cool photos. So they go to my Instagram. And if they want to see longer photos and moving form, then you go to my YouTube. Yeah. Dude, Twitter's making a comeback. I like it a lot lately. Like it's actually people are starting to give a shit about it again. And I think it's yeah. partly because Instagram is the way Instagram is and kind of finicky and up and down just, and whatever. It's just kind of boring quite often. That's why I think memes are so good. And like they're <laughs> like kind of the only thing I I'm on Instagram for is just memes and then checking out snow conditions from various places from your friends that go out there. I think those are the two best uses of it. The rest I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of bored with it. Dude, um, it's I get hard, sh- hard to want to do. I get shit on by Rogi once a week uh, for making memes like it inevitably like if i make a meme and it does well i get a text from rogi that's like dude this isn't journalism it's not like memes are trash they're started by the right wing and they hate it and i'm just like mike i just it's i'm just trying to have some fun here man <laughs> memes are the best i mean it's funny i kind of like last year i started doing them just because i don't know all of a sudden i figured out how how to make them and i was like oh this is kind of fun and it's 2020 and there was not much content going on yeah. when it came to actual going out there. So I started making them and I was like having a blast with it. The The hard part is when you're an actual personality and people can connect to you as a person mm-hmm. and you have sponsors and whatnot, you really, really got to be careful because people get 
pretty sensitive. Oh, I'm, yeah, I've blocked so, so many people because of memes, and it's just like, yeah. it's supposed to be a joke, and it's like somewhat lighthearted. Like, I've had memes I put out where I was literally making fun of myself and professional <laughs> skiers, and people just like ripping me apart for it. I'm like, this crazy. was making fun of myself. Like, this was like, what are you? I'm I, allowed so to weird. do this. This is me. Yeah, I'm totally. allowed. I approve. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've kind of slowed my roll on it, but I still, I still make, I almost sometimes just make them and then just save them on my phone, but I'm going <laughs> to do a meme dump one of these days. Awesome. Thanks, Cody. No problem. I hope you guys enjoyed the episodes. Um, this week, uh, was great. And, uh, both Cody and Amy are world-class athletes and, um, uh, two of the best talkers, I think that, that I get the opportunity to hang out with. So um, thank you to both of them. And uh, who do we have next week? Next week we have Stuart Winchester from the Storm Skiing Journal and Podcast. And Alex Kaufman um, makes the return. Kind of gives you a rundown of his whole life, um, which is really rad. So um, look forward to those. And we actually have a few – yeah, we got, we got a lot of episodes coming up, man. Um, talk to you soon. Bye.